this week's episode, Spence and Buzz sit down with returning guest, Superdoc RJ Kama, as well as new guest, at Whiskey Blender Dude, who happens to be the master blender at Chivas, Glenlivet, as well as a few other brands. And they get into it about, well, as you can probably guess, whiskey and watches. So get ready and sit back, because it's time for another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode 59 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Uh, this one's gone a little bit more international, and I think we'll be dropping the E for the uh, for the episode because we have with us Sandy, also known as at Whiskey Blender Dude. Uh, we have our buddy uh, RJ Kama back with us, and it's me and Buzz. We're hanging out. We're talking uh, scotch whiskey today and then, of course, watches. So, uh, everybody, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. You know this this episode's been a been a long time coming since we had RJ back on uh, in November. He said, "Hey, I don't know if you've met Sandy before." Uh, and I, I'd been following Sandy on Instagram for a while. He said, "You know, he's the he's the uh, you know essentially the blender, as I understand it, at Chivas Regal um, with all the brands that are under that portfolio, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. You can correct me how I butchered that." <laughs> um, but he's like, we should do a, we should do an episode with him on uh, on scotch and on watches because he's a big watch guy. So I figured, you know, we'll we'll take you guys up on that and uh, wrap it. Have everybody on. So uh, I think this is going to be a great episode. Probably feature the whiskey as much, if not more, than the watches, uh, which is something that was a New Year's resolution for us. Um, but but Sandy and RJ, uh, RJ, you you know how this all works. But you know, we always start with a wrist check and a drink check. So Sandy is the is the main guest. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what's in the glass and then what's on your wrist? Well, what's, what's in the glass tonight is Glenlivet, 12 years old, single malt, an absolute classic. The first first registered single malt distillery in Scotland back in 1824, an absolute classic. Um, what's on my wrist? Well, I'm thinking probably RJ and I might be on the same, might be on the same track tonight, but I've got my Grand Seiko GMT chronograph spring drive titanium 20th anniversary absolutely outrageous and magnificent all at the same time that is a stunning piece <laughs> yeah that, that's just an amazing piece so yeah i um very similar so we're all i think we're all drinking the the glenn Livet 12 which like i said um this is this is like the supersized bottle <laughs> this is like milk in the fridge at, at my place and and I didn't even know that Sandy was responsible for it. So this is <laughs> such a thrill. It's like eating a Big Mac and, and having Ronald McDonald <laughs> take us through it. So this is spectacular. Yeah. So oh, the Glenlivet 12. Obviously without the costume. Obviously without the costume. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sandy, so he said, let's all try the, the Glenlivet. Have you tried it before? And I'm thinking, shit. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly familiar, but uh, really looking forward to hearing the, the behind the scenes. And on the wrist, yeah, the um, doesn't get to be much more of a statement piece than these these spring drives. So same same movement, the the chronograph, but this is the the samurai lion. So it's a nice heavy statement piece, but this is the latest. So had to had to bring it out. Oh yeah, that's a that's a stunning piece, Fuzzy. What have you got for us? All right. Yeah, I, I'm excited for this episode because we are finally not giving short shrift to the whiskey part of whiskey and watches. In in my glass, I too have the uh, Glenlivet 12 that uh, Sandy so graciously sent us. 
no ice cubes today, my friends. No Costco <laughs> whiskey. We we are classing the joint up today. <laughs> now, yeah, you've, you've, you've upped your game significantly tonight, bro. Yeah. Yes, yes, he has. Having <laughs> Kirkland uh, signature. It's <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this, this gets more than 91 points. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so on my wrist, I've got a very old um, Omega Seamaster calendar on the uh, like the Daniel Bond, Daniel Craig uh, era Bond NATO strap. Uh, th- this one recently came back from from the good watch doctor uh, Matt down at uh, uh, Richter and Phillips Jewelers. It had uh, um, the the post for the automatic and there was broken all, all sorts of crazy stuff. It took a while for him to hunt down the pieces, but he did. He put it back together. It's great. Um, it's also not a quick set date. So I just ignore <laughs> the number. On the <laughs> you might eventually get it right. One of these times. <laughs> I, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I do think I need a two piece uh, strap so I can look at the hippocampus on the back though. That's, that's the only downside to a NATO strap on, on an Omega. Just cut that underside. Just cut that underside. You'll get there. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll bring it home so we can get into the, into the, into the meat of it. I also have the Glenlivet 12 that Sandy was, was kind enough to send to us, but I wore, I wore my latest uh, acquisition because uh, Buzzy was keen to point out that uh, Sandy either has or had this at one time. I busted out the SRQ 029 that I got a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite as thick as the, uh, is the one that you guys are wearing. It's, it's 17, but 16 is pretty close. Um, and, you know, I just, I picked it up uh, a couple of weeks ago, finally pulled the trigger at the one that was at, at Richter and Phillips. And uh, it's been getting a lot of wrist time. It's, it's got a, a very underrated bracelet. Every time I went and tried it on, I always forgot how good the bracelet is, which is weird to say for a Seiko, because normally it's the opposite. It's like, man, the bracelets could just be better, but the facets on this really play with the light. I've been really enjoying it. And uh yeah, it's just a funky, cool panda offset chrono that I uh, I've been eyeing for the better part of a year, and now it's finally in my watch box. Yeah. So I've still I've still got mine. Love it. Yeah, yeah it's a great piece. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic piece. Plus, Seiko in general is really up the game, mm-hmm. which has forced Grand Seiko to kind of push, <laughs> yeah. push themselves harder too. Yeah. So it's just such a great time for them. Yeah. And they had a big week too. Like uh, the last week and a half has been all of their new releases. So I'm sure as we're talking watches, they they may find their way. That might work its way into the conversation. I'm I'm sure. Um, so well, I'm I'm glad we got through all of that. Uh, Sandy, why don't I haven't had a I haven't had a sip of this yet. I've been waiting to do the first the first taste of this um, when we had you on. So why don't you walk us through exactly what we should be picking up on this, and then we'll get a little a little bit of the story into the twelve year a little bit more. Yeah, I, well, absolutely. So. We've got we've got Glenlivet twelve year old and myself and Buzz and RJ were, were were chatting about it while you were having your um having your connection issues and uh, yes <laughs> yeah I drank a half bottle already <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we were we were we were discussing about you know about about the age and I think I think it's important right from the outset you know the Glenlivet twelve year old that that's an absolute guarantee in Scotch whiskey every single drop of whiskey in the glass that you're drinking tonight has been matured in cask in Scotland for a minimum of 12 years. Now, when I'm putting together the recipe for Glenlivet 12-year-old, I'm using an age of ranges, but every single drop is 12. 
At the moment, we have we have casks going all the way up to 14 and a half years old in the recipe, and we're using quite a bit of American oak barrels. We're using quite a bit of American oak barrels. We're using some traditional hogsheads, and we're using some European oak butts in the mix as well. So even though it's a single malt and it's the product of one distillery, this whiskey has quite a complex formula. It's using a lot of different whiskies, and they're all bringing different flavours to it. You know, the American oak barrels are bringing that vanilla, bringing toffee, bringing some real lovely creamy texture to the blend. You know, and the European oak casks are bringing some spiciness, a bit of richness. So if you take take your blend of it and just have a nose of it, and for me right away, it's that it's that sweet caramel toffee, a bit of vanilla. And, and, and I would suggest I've got some water here. If you've got a bit of water, just add a splash of water. Now, this is this is because we're doing homework now. This is because we're trying to get a bit of the flavour. Add a splash of water to it, give it a swirl, and then, for me, that's when you get all those lovely sweet pear notes coming through. There's pears, that sweet pears. It's almost like when you used to get pears when you were young out of a tin, that sort of pears and syrup. You get that lovely sweet mm-hmm. syrup. If you have a sip... It's wonderfully sweet and smooth. And for me, that pear, that pear just evolves into sort of sweet peaches. It's that peaches and syrup. It's absolutely lovely. Got that vanilla coming through. You've got that toffee. But also there's a tiny little bit of cinnamon in there. There's just a little bit of spiciness coming from those European oak casks. And what, what I particularly love about Glenlivet 12 is subconsciously you're not grabbing back for the glass. It takes a while to dissipate on the palate. You know, it... it this, this will be this will be a whole new concept for you, Buzz. This is you drinking <laughs> whiskey. This is you drinking whiskey with a significant finish. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. In in my defense, as we were talking about be, before we started recording, I was quite excited for this episode because Chevis Regal is my dad's absolute favorite. Just a Chivas 12, just normal. Uh, that That's what he always had. Uh, he didn't drink much, hardly at all. But when he did, he, he would have uh, Chivas 12. And that's been my favorite scotch the whole time that I've been alive. Uh, so, so good. What's amazing, though, the um, to add that bit of water, because the, the 12 has a lot of heat. So if you're drinking it neat, it is a very peppery, hot, hot mouthfeel. That little bit of water does really bring out the vanilla and it, it smooths it out so much. I'm usually not a big fan of, of adding water. And we were talking before, it, to, to have a big ice ball really, really lets you taste it as it evolves and, and cools down. But it's remarkable how much it can change with just a little bit of, of fluid to, to dilute. Yeah. <laughs> When we're when we're RJ, when we're testing it professionally in the sample room, we test everything at twenty percent. So that bottle mm. of Glenlivet that you have there, we would be adding it would be fifty fifty, a measure of Glenlivet and the same again water to bring it down. And that 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 does two things when we're testing it professionally. It brings out the flavour and also it stops your senses becoming anesthetized. You can yeah. you can nose lots and lots of samples without your nose becoming numb. I find it difficult to smell the difference between you can you want to be able to pick up all the nuances but 
when you come home, you drink it exactly the way you want it. You know, I, yeah. I certainly don't drink it 50-50 at home, but when we're testing it, always it's at 50-50. And that's not just something that I do with Chivas Brothers and with Glenn Livett. If you speak to any of the other major players, all their, their um, master blenders are nosing um, all their whiskies at 20% volume. That is the, the, the best strength to be testing whiskey. And there was a Newcastle University in England did a huge study on it with all their... Um, all their students and did a big thesis on it and I think they worked out that it was 21.3% volume was the, the absolute best strength to be taking alcohol. We were like, you should have asked us. We've been doing it at 20. <laughs> 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 but I think you, you said something earlier that I think needs to be repeated is um, when there's an age statement, it's it's just the youngest whiskey of of the of the vat or or the the recipe that that goes on there, and I don't think a lot of people realize. I didn't even realize that until until you mentioned it before. So yeah. Glenlivet Twelve will have a thirty year old whiskey in it, and so people who think that it just is sat on a shelf for twelve years and then you you put it in a bottle, I, I think that's uh, that, that's that's something that's a, a learning point that. I think a lot of people wouldn't have realized unless it's uh, it's explained to them. Yeah, there's absolutely no smoke and mirrors with Scotch whiskey. The, the age on the bottle is the absolute youngest cask that has gone into the formula that's put that together. And if we were to have an accident on site where we have a, a, a holding vat that holds 20,000 litres, if we had accidentally put a five-year-old or a six-year-old whiskey in that, the whole vat becomes that age. Whereas by... It is by law that it has to be the minimum age that is on the bottom. So I, 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 I love it. I think it's a, an absolute guarantee to consumers. Once they understand it, they, they know that there's an absolute guarantee that every single molecule of whiskey in that cask has been matured for a minimum of 12 years in oak casks. So how um, there's also a big debate about the, the blends compared to the single malts. We have a master blender on. He should be able to tell us yeah. uh, all about that. <laughs> and, and it's funny. It seems like it's it's oscillated back and forth because uh, I remember a time where the blend was the, the best expression of the talent of the blender. And then it all got to be about single malt. And that's probably the marketeers and, and the ad boards behind it, where it all got to be single malt had was this level and, and, Blends were, were on a different level. So, how would you respond to that? I'm going to attack. I'm going to attack this in two, in two in two ways, RJ. I'm going to say to you that single malt is as, isn't as single as you would think, because we're using different cask types, different ages, different numbers of fills. You know, we use first and second fill American oak barrels in the formula, so it's not just exactly taken out the warehouse 20 casks put together there is a set there is a formula and some of the formulas particularly Glenlivet 12 is just as complex as some of the the more the more standard blended whiskies but to Buzz's point about somebody loving Chivas Regal and loving loving the flavor of Chivas Regal what you get with a single malt is you will get a wonderful flavor and the, the, the flavor will be quite dominant you'll get two or three flavors that are really dominant in that that single malt whiskey. And if you love that flavor, you're going to buy that single malt whiskey because you're going to love that flavor. Whereas when you get something like Chivas Regal, Chivas Regal is using many different malt 
grain whiskies. It's got its heart firmly set in Speyside. It's using Strathyla single malt, Longmorn single malt as its foundation malts. It, it, it's infinitely more more complex. It's more. It has balance. It has depth of character. It, it, it's, it is. It's quite a sophisticated offering, a blended whisky. And for someone, you know, where we added water to that Glenlivet there just now, you know, taking a Shivers Regal and adding a spot of water to that, it's just absolutely delicious. You're getting all these wondered orchard fruit flavours. You're getting red apple. You're getting, in fact, it's not just red apple for me. It's like toffee apple. You know, that sort of freshly made toffee apple with a red apple. I absolutely love it. It's that really lovely toffee coming through. There's a bit of cinnamon in there. There's lots and lots of really sweet pear, sweet flavours as well coming, a bit like the Glenlivet. It has a bit of that pear flavour in as well. But what I love about Shivers Regal is just there's just a little sensation of bonfire smoke just at the end. And, and, and I love that. It's so sophisticated. There's all those multi-layer flavours coming in there. And I think it's a more... It, it, it has a, has a, a much more differentiations of different flavors as you taste it, you know. And and it it it's for me for me goodness me being responsible for the quality of Glenlivet and being responsible for the quality of Shivers is just like a dream come true. And I started back in 1983, 38 years ago, working in the sample room in the blending room as an assistant. You know, I could only have dreamt of being responsible for such prestigious brands. You know. Goodness me, you know, to be able to, under your tenure, to be able to keep the quality and the continuity. The continuity is just so important. You know, there's you, you RJ, you're saying to me tonight that you, you love Glenlivet. There's always Glenlivet in your house. If we don't get that recipe right, you probably, if you get it and taste it and think, oh, that's not what I, that's not my usual Glenlivet, you probably won't even complain to me. You'll probably just try something else because there's so many other things to try. So it's my job for the, for you never to be in that situation that you open your Glenlivet and you go, well, that's not the taste I'm looking for. You know, so it's about, my I deal with lots of new products and making new products. I was showing you the Glenlivet New Caribbean Reserve earlier on, but the biggest part of my job is quality and continuity, keeping it the same year after year. Um, it, it's it's something that is a big responsibility, but one that I absolutely relish. I love it. Love, can't believe I'm responsible for such. A <laughs> I mean, I. But it, the, the, it's amazing, and it's so good. What and and I think, just it, it, it's reassuring knowing that the age isn't the be all end all. Because I, I really like the captains reserve and the founders reserve and and you know i think even like people are into watches and this whole mindset of certain classes and assigning a value to the price and it it just opens up the entire world of of things to know that it's not just a, a flat age statement and each one has a unique recipe so the difference between the 15 and the 12 isn't just that it sat in the barrel an extra three years it, it's that the minimum scotch in that barrel is is 15, but it's it's a different blend and flavor. That's I've always wondered why they were so different. And I actually like the 12 more than the 15, which is better for the pocketbook. But you almost wonder if there's something wrong with you, because obviously it's it's a it's a more expensive, higher end product. I think it's quite refreshing to hear you say that, 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 that you are you're buying it on flavor rather than the prestige of it being you know, 15-year-old rather than 12. And your point about founders is a good one because founders doesn't have an age statement. But if I give away, I'm not going to give away all the secrets, but <laughs> founders has founders has more first fill American oak in it than Glenlivet 12. And yeah. and that 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 then belies the age. It gives you a real dial-up of that creamy toffee. 
in the founders, which is not in the Glenlivet twelve. So not only not only do you have the age as your as your guidance, but the quality and the the types of casks that you've used can give you much huge differentiations in flavour uh, between the expressions. Well, it, it just fascinates me. I mean, the w- listeners will know that I'm an engineer, and it just fascinates me. Uh, you know, when you you say that your job that you are entrusted with the consistency of, of these two flagship products, because you know, unlike so many things in this world, this is something that has to be done uniquely by human, by human skill, by by your your faculties of smell and taste. Right. There's no computer printouts that, you know, you can't save a reference bottle of of it from 10 years ago as a master to compare it to, because even the the time in between would change what that was when it was first produced versus when, when you're drinking it now. Uh, it, it just it, it fascinates me to no end. Um, just. Yeah how important that is your point the great one was because you know if i put it into perspective you know i'm probably i'm probably nosing um 1500 to 2000 samples a week and i'm probably tasting about six so that 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 really gives you the that gives you the sense of scale of how important your nose is as a master blender you know that you your nose is everything if you've got the cold and your nose is blocked, everything tastes rubbish. And that's because your nose, your olfactory system is all part of your enjoying food and getting the sensations and the flavor. So it's it's massive. You can only get sweet, sour, salt, acid, and then the Japanese seiju mami, but I'm not so sure about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's in your nose. You can get there's like 5,000 flavor receptors. You know, people, people, people really don't appreciate how important their nose is. You know, most people, in your case, Buzz, you just use it for putting your specs on. <laughs> no kidding no kidding it was, it was so funny because i was talking with my wife about this uh episode and i go you know i'm, I'm the first to admit that when i read uh tasting notes online yeah i i, I can smell a whiskey and it, i can't connect those smells to the words that describe them yeah i i understand obviously what i like but but that kind of reverse problem of describing what you're smelling i mean that's that's something that's just completely completely out of my skill set um but obviously that's your bread and butter so it's just it it fascinates me i don't think you should get too hung up on it buzz i think the words I do myself and my team do all the tasting notes for all the new products, and they're, they're the flavors that we get. And these flavors are a guide, Buzz. But but flavors are a really really personal thing. You know, if I if I say to everybody that's on this call tonight, you know, what is what is what does an apple taste like? And you could one could be thinking red apple, one could be thinking green, one could be thinking you know, Pink Lady or thinking Golden Delicious. There's all these different flavors. And my, a phrase, something that I use all the time is, if I, it's like a flavor book inside your head and it's all experiences. And it's it's quite well documented that all these flavor, that flavor book that builds up in your head is sort of like from the age of about sort of seven to 12, you know, all these first time experiences. And the more experiences you've had when you're young, the better. And 
if I ask anybody on this call to think about the very first time they smelt cut grass, or what does cut grass smell like to them? I absolutely guarantee you're thinking about when you were young, when your father was cutting the grass. You're not thinking about last week or the summer. You're thinking about way back to when the first time you... And that, that, that's when all these things are, are, are almost into your psyche. So, yeah, Buzz, read, read, the, read, the, read the tasting notes. Take cognizance of them, but get your own words. Get your own words. You just need to do, as I was saying earlier, you need to do lots of homework and lots of practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the beauty of it, is that there, there's no right or wrong answer. Oh. And, and to take the time and even just try to make the mind-body connection, and it forces you, if you really want to hone your, your skills, it, it forces you to smell your food more or, or the fruit and, and just slow it down. Because you think about how much in life you're just bypassing and the brain will shut down details to be more efficient. Just think about the first drive you took somewhere and it seemed to take a long time and it's because you were taking everything in. And now that drive to work, you don't even mentally process it anymore. You, you just blink and all of a sudden you're at work because your mind's gone on autopilot. So what I love is it, it forces you to stop and think and, and try to try to determine what you're smelling and what you're tasting. And, and the whole world around you slows down for just that moment. And, and there's no right or wrong. I really like the taste of, of anise and, and Zambuca. And my wife it is the worst thing in the world to her. So that black licorice. It's pleasing to my palate. And so you can't say she's wrong. But that, that, that's the beauty of it is there's no right or wrong. But it also, if, if you take that time to slow down, it's almost like meditation. And, and it's the experience around it. And it's so much better when, when there's more flavors to, to pull out. And that's the difference between complexity in a high-quality whiskey or drink or wine and some of the, the thinner, watery-type offerings. Uh, that's the beauty of it. What I'm curious about is, because this is what you do for a living. For me, when I go on vacation, a dream vacation would be your job. I just want to drink, not think about patients or 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 homework or, or medical text or, or the, the updates or the upgrades and the new gut. I just want to drink, have a cigar. Like so, when you're on vacation, it's just like wine coolers and like what? <laughs> so, Bud Light, just nothing but Bud Light, right, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, and, and I'm not just saying this. I absolutely love my job, you know, and, and I, I love, I love. Yeah, I'm taking a vacation in yeah. decades. Yeah, your point was a great one there. You were making about your wife not liking, not liking the smell of something. If I have a smoky whiskey, my my wife absolutely hates it. She says that I just walk about the house smelling like an old ash tree, which is really not very not very complimentary <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, when so the other when you said earlier that uh you know age statements and stuff that there there's no smoke and mirrors with scotch and the only smokes for you know built right into the Iowa whiskeys, right? Yeah, nice peaty <laughs> yeah. ones. Yeah. Like, yeah, do you you guys yeah, boss, you like, have an Iowa? Yeah. Sandy, do you guys have an Isla in your in your house? No, we don't. We don't. We have we have a, a distillery called Alta Bain, where which is a a Speyside mainland, and we peat that six months of the year. Um, mm. But we we trade we all the whiskey companies. You know, all of the my our main competitors. We trade whiskey with each other. So, you know, I'm bringing I'm bringing smoky whiskey into the inventory. It's just like bringing ingredients in, but we don't. We don't trade any whiskey at Chivas Brothers that is mature. We only trade new distillate. 
So mm-hmm. the distillery, you know, if we're bringing an Isley whiskey into our portfolio, into our inventory, we'll bring it in and tanker in new form and then fill it and mature it in our own casks. That way we have control of the quality right from day one. And we can we can mould that whisky and mature that whisky into just exactly the right flavour we are looking for. So, yeah, it, it's really interesting that, that 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 obviously in Scotland we don't like spending money, so <laughs> we do what we call reciprocal deal, which in in, in in easy terms we just swap whisky with each other <laughs> to give each other to give each other you know extra ingredients to work. With. It's a bit like cooking; it's just bringing in extra ingredients that you can have at your disposal in. Mm-hmm. 3, 12, 20, 30 years time. Well, and it's it's interesting. You're talking about the, the different things you're bringing in. And, and I know the, the whiskey that we're drinking today has American oak barrels that you age some of it yeah. some of it in. And I was listening to one of your Scotch Time uh, videos uh, with Whiskey Alexander. Oh, yeah. um, and you guys were talking about Aberlauer and how you guys bring in casks at certain time of years. I know I think that one, it was the sherry cask that you guys got from Spain and how those only come in in the winter and... It's just it's it's interesting to me that not only are you in charge of the blending of making sure all the flavor profiles are there, but it's it is like a recipe, and that you're controlling all of the different things as far as the the barrels you're bringing in, from where you're bringing them in, at what time of year, how you're aging uh, the whiskeys in those barrels in those casks. Like just walk us through how involved you are in the in the overall process, because I, I think when people say, "Oh, Sandy's the master blender," oh, he's trying to figure out it's like, it's like no, Sandy's involved at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's a few things here. Probably probably compared to a lot of the other big whiskey companies, my my remit is 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 wider than than probably other master blenders because my my team involves you know the whole of cask purchasing. I look after inventory. I look after our technical centres and laboratory planning. All the all the blending team. All the blending. Um, but I think it works really well because I have a an over an overriding total focus on quality you know buying casks casks are not just a container casks are a maturing vessel with a limited lifespan so it's a job that personally i would never leave to a procurement department because they're just looking for the looking for the cheapest deal whereas i'm looking for quality that's overriding in my department you know my cask manager is really diligent at making sure we get good casks but he knows price is really important but quality sits Right above price all the time. You know, it's it's very important. Spence, to your point about um, sherry casks, we, we we put a lot of effort into it. We're not just buying empty sherry casks from Spain. That is just not our game at all. You know, we're getting we're buying Spanish oak. We're we're drying that Spanish oak. We're having casks made. We're having them conditioned for eighteen months with our specification of sherry. Then they're emptied. They're brought to Scotland. They're filled within 10 days. And as you said, I'm glad, I really like it when people pay attention, Spence. That's great. We only bring them in the winter because we don't want to bring sherry across in casks, you know, empty casks with residual sherry in the walls. In a really hot container in the summer, you could end up with it going off and ending up with really terrible, sour, you know, like that sort of paint thinner's notes you'd get coming through. You really, really wouldn't. You wouldn't want any of that, so... Bring them in in the winter, get them filled quickly, get the best use out of them. So, yeah, we're putting in a lot of effort right at the very start. And yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not just working with the finished whiskey. I'm working with the distillers every week with a new new whiskey. They make it, I set the standard for it, and I I check their whiskey every week. I give them feedback on the new distill that they're making, and we work really closely hand in hand. Um, I, God, I have a finger in a lot of pie, Spence. <laughs> It really seems like it, but it, it was just, it was fascinating to see that 
when you're talking with with uh, with Alexander about all the different things going, it's like you don't you don't most of us don't really understand everything that goes into getting it to this point. And for those of you who can't see, I'm holding up my glass with with some of the Glenlivet in it. Um, you know, us living in uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, at least Buzz and I, we're very close to Tennessee or not Tennessee. Kentucky. We're also close to Tennessee, but Kentucky is also a very large uh, whiskey center in the United States. Uh, bourbon whiskey, and and I've been lucky enough to go on the some tours of the distilleries down there. But it's it's just fascinating to to kind of see that whole process. I've not made it over to Scotland yet. Uh, obviously, with lockdown, haven't you know no international travel for very you know for for this past year. But it's definitely something I want to come and see. Is I think understanding the craft and getting into it a little bit more, and and, and just hearing you and and Alex talk about what goes into all of these different products. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to be thinking about what I see on the shelf significantly differently now after having spoken with you. Um, so I think that is, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's important for, for everyone to realize that, you know, I'm only, I'm only part of the story. You know, it's about having, it's about having a really good team about you and it's about picking out really good people, you know, myself and my, my blending manager, Kevin Bamforth and my, my sample room tea leader, Willie Henderson. Between the three of us now, we've got 100 years' experience in the whiskey industry, you know, a full century of experience. And I think I think as well, some people miss miss the point that a master blender, when, it, when it, you go through three stages in being a master blender, you know, you start you start in the trade and you're blending, you're blending the previous master blender's whiskey that he's laid down many years in advance. You know, when you start, when I started blending Chivas Regal, I was using the previous master blender's inventory that he'd laid down for 12 years. Then, then you, as your, your career develops, you have a golden period where you're blending whiskey that's been laid down under your tenure. And I'm in that, I'm in that period at the moment with, uh, with, with some of the brands, but things like Royal Salute 21-year-old, to be honest, boys, I'm not so happy about it because the whiskey I'm now testing, the new distillate I'm testing and allocating the casks for it, I'll be retired when, when that whiskey comes out the other end. So it's a bit, it's a bit like you're you you have that golden period where you're looking after the whiskey and you've just you've 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 approved the quality of it. It's passed its maturation. It's come out the side. But now, for a lot of these high aged and prestige brands, I'm now leaving the house in good order for the next man. And I think that is that's a huge part of the blender's job is do 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 as good a job as your predecessor did of making sure the house is just perfect to make the next blender's job easy so that he the first few years while he settles in he's got fabulous stock coming through to make the amazing whiskies with the new products is um because because you showed us the caribbean yeah. barrel finish and is there what's the motivation between or behind something new is it for marketing or for a new product or is it an inspiration that you have is it like with watches at Basel every year they want novelties, even though, you know, give them an extra millimeter on a Submariner, everyone goes crazy. <laughs> but is it is it that they, they want something new and you need to come up with something or is there it's inspiration in your tastings that make you want to try a rum? Because a rum barrel, it would seem like um, a very novel thing to even try. I don't think I've ever seen any whiskey aged in, in or finished in rum barrels. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street, RJ. Um, I am I am actively encouraged by a CEO to to innovate, to buy casks, to bring things in, to experiment. If it doesn't work, 
they don't care. They want me to try it. They want me to try different flavours. And, and sometimes, yes, marketing do come to me with an idea of what they wanted to do. In the case of the Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve, that was all my own ideas. I, 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 like, I like the fact that it had that Glenlivet had that pear and had a bit of that peach flavour in it. And I thought, you know, really good quality high ester Caribbean rum has all those lovely tropical it's a bit of that sort of sweet mango and a wee bit of pineapple in there as well and I thought that would that absolutely complement Glenlivet perfectly but it needed to be done and that's why we did it as a a selective finish is that only part of the whiskey is taken out and finished in those casks then added back to the whiskey I desperately want the cask finish to complement the whiskey I don't want it to overpower it I want I want you in particular, RG. I want you to have that Glenlivet and taste that Glenlivet and go, man alive, that's got all the flavours that I'm used to that I love in 12, but oh, it's got a real tropical twist. It's got, mm. like, you know, and that, that's what I want. I want it to be, the last thing I would want is to, to be swamped and particularly, you know, I could go on all night about old cask maturation and how not filling things in first fill for a long, long period of time of 20, 30 years isn't always the good thing because you get so much oak and you're almost, you get a mouthful of splinters when you taste it. Second fill, second fill works much better. You get that more, you get that more balanced maturation because it's already had a fill and the oak's tempered slightly, and you get a wonderful balance. So yes, there are so many different tunes you can play when you're trying to do flavour. But to, to answer the specific question, yes, marketing do come up with ideas from time to time, and I tear them up and put them in the bin, and I start. With them. <laughs> <laughs> I need to edit that out. <laughs> And then, and then, yeah, we have experiments where we do, you know, we, we did a 29-year-old Royal Salute where we finished that in Pedro Jimenez casks, and it was just magnificent. And that, to be honest with you, Argy, that was just an experiment. That was just mm. an experiment where I've got some casks in, experimented away, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so good. We're going to need to launch it. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, Glenn, Glenn Fiddick's doing a lot of the experiment. They're, they're IPA. Um, I really like that. And, and again, that seemed like a, a strange, strange way to finish but um, that works quite yeah. well with Glenfiddich because it's Glenfiddich is quite a delicate character character of distillate. You know, it's quite it's quite delicate, it's quite floral, it's quite citrus, and it works very well with that sort of citrus notes you'd get from the IPA. Do you guys get together and compare notes? I, I'm oh. very friendly, very friendly with both the blenders at uh, yeah. Grant at, at Glenfiddich. Yeah, do you know do you know something? That's that's a really really good question because. As blenders, we're all really chummy. And I know that if I phoned up the blender at William Grant or the blender at Johnny Walker and I said to him, I'm really struggling here. We're really short stock for a 15-year-old blend. I'm absolutely convinced they would give me it. No problem at all, as I would give them. Now, as you get closer to the supermarket shelf or to the off-license shelf and you're in marketing and you're in sales, I'm sure they're not chums at all. (laughs) (laughs) But... Actually, we are we're all quite chummy, you know, and, and and we do go to industry, you know, industry events together, and we all know each other really well, and we it is it is quite traditional. And some of these some of these exchange deals that I'm talking about, you know, where we're exchanging new distillates, they're still done on a handshake, you know. That's the no, there isn't like you know seven lawyers involved, and you have to sign everything and triplicate, you know. It's just like. Yeah, so we were swap. We swapped that last year. Do you want to swap it again next year? Yeah, we'll swap it again. <laughs> that's amazing. It's similar in the watch industry too. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. So, are any of the other guys watch guys? Or? 
trying to think. No, there's probably uh, there's quite a few watch guys at Shivers. I have quite a few, quite a few terms that are in um, that are in red bar scattered throughout the world. Uh, but no, as far as blenders are concerned, no, I think I'm the only one with um, watch issues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'd seem to think yeah. the same attraction yeah. would be there. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, so that's a really good. Sorry, Carl. No, okay. So that's a really good segue. Why don't we uh, Why don't we get into kind of what what started it all for you? I mean, obviously, you said you've been you've been at Chivas for for quite some time. When did the watch bug finally bite you, or has that kind of been something that's been along the way? Yeah, and and use your left arm more to drink because yeah, we yeah. Uh, see that. Yeah, <laughs> the the bracelet Spence on yours is amazing. Every time it catches the light, I know. I love this thing. It's a, it's so good. It's so good. It is so yeah. good. And I'm talking, about a, I'm talking about a Seiko bracelet. Remember that, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one on the Tokyo Lion is really good, though, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's got the um, the on-the-fly adjustment in the clasp, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more um, engineered. So we just need yeah. to see more of it. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, before I got that watch that you're wearing, Spence, I was a little bit worried about it because – it was a it, it was a significant purchase for mm-hmm. for, a, for a Seiko, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not moving up to Grand Seiko, but it was a significant purchase for me, and I was a little bit worried about it when I got it. But to your point, I just love the bracelet on it. It just wears beautifully, and I like the fact that it's 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 got quite a depth to it. I like it. It's mm-hmm. quite a statement piece. Oh yeah, it definitely is, and I think the thing that they did really well is it's that little Zeratsu polishing just around the top of the case there. It, so it makes the mid case seem thinner than it is because it's got the two chamfers and they, they really like it. Like I said, the fact that two millimeters of the 16s in the crystal is, mm-hmm. is amazing. But um, yeah, no, it, it's just, it's one of those pieces where I've been eyeing it for 14 months since it came in. And I, the, the nice thing was, is I had the safety in it that I knew I was kind of the only person who was taking it out of the case and trying it on. So I was like, it'll still be there when I'm ready. And it was. <laughs> so it's just, it, I was lucky. It wasn't one of those where you had to like grab it right away. But no, that, that happened to me on the Tokyo Lion because mm-hmm. um, my dealer didn't even get the chrono, but the, the three hander, but there was, I think there was only 600 or 700 made in the world. And, and I, I paused <laughs> and, yeah. and it was done. It, yeah. So, so how how long ago? Uh, when did when did, what was that first piece, Sandy? That kind of got you into uh, into going down this rabbit hole of, of of pairing pairing whiskey and watches, as it were. Um, my father, my father had an antique shop, um, and I used to spend goodness me. He was open on a Saturday and he was open on a Sunday morning as well because it was good 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 days for trading in this the city that he was in and. My mother used to send me off with them for probably a little bit of peace and quiet. I used to get sick to talk with them. So, you know, I actually started collecting pocket watches before I went to wrist watches. You know, I, wow. I just loved them. I loved the, you know, the fact you could push the button and they flipped open. And I used to love opening the backs and seeing. And, and I did. I had quite quite a collection probably in my sort of between about sort of eight and twelve. I'd collected quite a lot of pocket watches. But then, my dad, my father was bringing in, you know all sorts of watches and I, I drifted into sort of some of the military watches that were kicking about at the time because that was a good, that was probably what, 40, 40 years ago and a lot of these watches were kicking about after the war and um, yeah, I started collecting them and that, that was, do you know, was that, that, that was it. I was just smitten. So this isn't something that I've come to, I've come to lately. I've been doing it for a long, long time and 
my collection has kind of evolved, and, and I've got a lot of old watches. I've got, you know, from my, I used to spend all my pocket money. I sometimes used to be due my dad, like, weeks and weeks worth of pocket money to pay off a watch, and it would, I would never get to take it home. It would stay in the shop until I'd paid it off, and I always got it, always got it at cost price, which was great. <laughs> that, that didn't apply a markup to it. But I never let me take it home until I'd paid it up. So sometimes I'd say, I'd really like that watch. I'd really like that Longines military, Second World War wrist watch. Yep, yep, you can have it at cost, but you're paying it up. And I had to like pay it up over like six, seven weeks. So I never had any pocket money to spend on anything other than... But dad used to give it to me, then I used to have to give him his pocket money straight back so that it was... Uh, <laughs> And I kind of rolled on. I love vintage pocket watches. Sorry, vintage wrist watches. But the reliability thing is is tough going, you know, and and mm -hmm. so difficult and so expensive to get them fixed that I've been drawn into some more of the more modern watches now for for, for at least probably the past fifteen years. Um, I love them. I love I love I love the complexity of of watches. I love the fact that how they come together. It's like this is going to sound a bit corny, but it's like blending. It's like taking, when they make a watch, they take all these little individual bits of metal and they bring them together to make something that's really complicated and tells the time and it's bigger than the sum of its parts. It's like that, but it's like that Chivas Regal. You take all these individual ingredients, you bring them together and you make something bigger than the sum of its parts. It just, you know, the similarities are unbelievable, unbelievable. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, been collecting for a long, long time. Um, I'm a real just sucker for watches. I, I, I love a. I'm right a bit like RG. I, I, I love Grand Seiko, and I could easily, I could easily have lots more in my collection. But uh, the current, the current Mrs. Hislop keeps me in check. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because we're both um, Omega Grand Seiko. I, I don't think you have any Rolex, or or do you? I have a Mil have a Milgauss, and that's it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I, have, I have some vintage. I have a, a nice um, 1940s um, solid gold bubble back, um, um, which is a, a lovely watch. But no, you're right. And, and I, I struggle with the whole going on a waiting list and having to yeah. build up a relationship. And, you know, I, I just, I really struggle with it. I, I love watches and, you know, I, I, I'd like to have more Rolex in my collection, but. I, just I think there's, there's going to be a big shift because it, it's amazing how much they invested in becoming that achievement watch. And now an entire generation will not be able to celebrate an achievement with a Rolex. And, and they're really built themselves on being a, a watch for the mass public. And mm -hmm. most of their, their previous client base now has no access to it. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's going to be interesting in the, in the coming years to see where people will celebrate that achievement and it'll be with different brands and it, the brand that someone who you care about wears is what's going to resonate most with you. So a lot of people who, you know, think Rolex is, is the be all end all it's because their father or grandfather or someone they admired wore a Rolex because they bought it to commemorate an achievement. And then the marketing push behind it to make you believe that that was the case. And that, that will soon, soon disappear so you wonder what the next generation will will look for and hopefully they'll look beyond just the status symbol mm -hmm. and what draws me more to you know the grand seiko beyond any is is the fact that they they care about the watch <laughs> they care about oh, yeah. you having the product as opposed to selling you a fantasy or or a lifestyle 
it's like the whiskey. If the product's not good, and this is with Walker and and some of the even the McAllen, like they they spend so much on marketing, but if the flavor doesn't appeal to you, it's uh, it, it's not the whiskey for you. But a lot of people will still buy, you know, what costs the most or what they think has the most status behind it. So hopefully, hopefully, the more people are educated, the more they understand, the the more things will even out to a, to an adequate playing field. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I totally agree. But having having said all that, um, during 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 lockdown, I did get an, a a message from my ED that they have an explorer for me. So <laughs> that's actually a great watch, though. Yeah, that's I'm, a fantastic. Yeah. The, the Explorer One or the the two? The, the Polar White. Oh, Ooh. better. Yeah, that's the yeah, that's the one. Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's a cool I've piece. Been on the list a long time for that, um, and I got I got notification during COVID, so it, it's mine. But I just can't. All the all the shops are shut, so I, I can't go in. You just can't go get it. It's like mental <laughs> like, like cruelty for a watch collector. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cruel and unusual punishment there. Well, it's tough, especially after just getting one and then getting that call. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is funny. I, I will say that the, the nice thing, at least here in the States, about with everything, with everything being on lockdown here, in and out of lockdown, I can remember 12 months ago, as crazy as this sounds, um, my wife's family is from Colorado. And um, they were not going to list the liquor stores on the essential services. Um, other states had, so like we didn't have a mad rush on the liquor stores like we did in, in, in Colorado, but they weren't going to like leave those as something that could stay open. And obviously very short sighted because we all thought two to four weeks will be, you know, that's, that's it, which again, 12 months later is kind of interesting on, on how this is all played out. Um, but the lines in the liquor to get into the liquor stores the Sunday before they were going to be closed down for the foreseeable future were so bad that they had an emergency session and they added them to the list. <laughs> we've not been closed at all in whiskey production. We've been we've been open right through the whole COVID pandemic. You know, a lot of a lot of businesses have had to shut down, but uh, it's it's so difficult. We need to lay the stock down for the future, and if we don't lay it down, mm-hmm. there's this huge gap in years to come. So, and to be honest, we're a we're a massive contributor to the. To the British economy, I think we're probably number one or number two in a contribution contributor to the exchequer from a duty that comes in from sales. So, yeah, we found we found mm-hmm. it, people are still, you know, during this pandemic, the whiskey sales have still stayed strong. Um, it's been tricky with not having airports open because people love to make a special purchase at the airport and buy themselves something really special. And to be able to to, to get that to the consumer has been. A challenge, but you know things like Valentine's finest whiskey that we we produce is is, is going like a train. It's just amazing, mm. how it's just charged through the whole thing. I'd say anybody at home with kids educating them full time probably increase their alcohol purchasing. <laughs> <laughs> Never a sure word to ingest. <laughs> it is very much essential. <laughs> So what else is on your radar right now for watches? Yeah, the explorer. explorer. Are you gonna try to gonna try to ignore it for a while till your wife forgives you? Yeah, Yeah. no idea how close to the truth you are here. (laughs) (laughs) Like like the new like the new GS um, Silver Birch. Oh yeah, Um, 
and I don't have I don't have a high beat in my collection at all. Um, yeah, I, I I like that, and um, I've not been a big I, I'm a big fan of um, James Porter and Son in Glasgow. Um, I'm really friendly with uh, on a personal level with Simon Porter, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that I would have been in to see him, and he would have been giving me the giving me the full treatment to let me see it. Um, but, Does he have? Apparently, they're they're selling out very quickly. Are they really? Yeah. yeah, I was I was speaking to him on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday this week I was speaking to him, and he was saying that they they um, have still got one of theirs. But uh, yeah, you're right. I think they are selling out quickly. Um, yeah, because the next wave won't come till later summer. That's where because I got a call for mine, and I just bought it. <laughs> yeah, yours is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an absolutely magnificent watch. Here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then they got the new seasons collection out as well. Yeah, um, yeah. which I like that those are all GMTs. And I think my favorite part about those is that it's a, it's a new case shape, or at least it, like, I'm not as familiar. Like I, I know largely what their case shapes look like. And I, I don't think I've seen that case shape for the new seasons collection out in a piece yet, if, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't think so. I don't think I have either. No, no. no. And those I think are, are absolutely fantastic. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've got you've got the Explorer two coming, so I don't know. Probably about probably another not another GMT, but uh, that that high yeah. The, the Silver Birch just looks absolutely. I've I've started to actually see some live pictures of people who've at least been able to try it on, see it in person, and I don't think. I mean, renders don't usually do a watch justice. I don't think the renders are doing that piece justice because the depth of that dial is is stunning. I also I also don't have a snowflake in my collection. <laughs> oh. I would like that. And I have, I've had it on my wrist a few times. It's one of these watches that I've been in and tried on lots of times. And I, 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 I just have this thing about it. And, and the one I'm wearing tonight is titanium, but I'd rather have it in steel. I'd like, like it to have a bit, yeah. a bit of beef to it and it would just be excellent. You know, so yeah. that's one that's, I've been so close to buying so many times. But yours in titanium makes sense because the movement is heavy. Yes. So titanium balances the the wearability a bit more the snowflake i, I find the same thing I, I like a little bit more wrist feel and and heft to it so that was my issue with the original seasons collection the two dials that i was drawn to um the the spring and the winter were both the titanium pieces with the spring drive movement and i i wanted the spring drive movement and i couldn't get the you know the titanium with the spring drive in that dial so I ended up with I think I think I wore it actually the last time we recorded RJ the uh, the SBGE two four nine the timeless luxury limited edition yeah, the, blizzard. the blizzard dial which I absolutely love um, it's a little bit weird I, I've been wearing it on a strap lately because you know I, I got to get my straps in before it gets to be eighty five ninety degrees and ninety percent humidity down here in Cincinnati and you can't wear leather at all um, so I've been I've had it on a, a suede strap which has been a nice little change of pace but that the, I, I'm with you there Sandy that, that those those watches and that movement I think in a steel case just adds that heft to it. It makes it feel like you're actually, I mean, the dials on those pieces, they're statement pieces to a degree. I mean, as subtle as they are, you look at them, you're like, these are absolutely gorgeous. I like having that, that feel of, of that watch on your wrist as well. And I think the titanium is just a little too light for my taste as well. And it was a little, it was a little bit men, like mental cruelty for me because then they, they brought out, they brought out the snow, the sort of the snow blue dial in yeah. steel. And I was just like, "Listen, you're just you're just messing with my brain here now because you can do it in steel, so why don't you just do it in steel?" Yeah. 
yeah. No, I mean, they, they, and I'm trying to think here. I, I've not seen, and I don't know that I'll ever get to. And um, I kind of, my, my grandfather listens to the podcast and he, he, he actually felt compelled enough to text me. He's like, Hey, send me a picture of that $60,000 Seiko that you were talking about. <laughs> the, the grand Seiko with the, the tree rings and the platinum case. Uh, my grandpa is a, he's not a watch collector, but he's, he's acquired a few timepieces over his, over his lifetime, but they're all Seikos. Um, and he's wearing his Seiko Sports 5 on a daily basis. He's got a titanium Seiko Kinetic, which is the piece that I remember him wearing growing up and he still has it. He's, he wears it all the time. Um, actually, Grandpa, I know you're listening. I do have to say it was my grandma's birthday this week. She turned 87 on Wednesday. So happy birthday, Grandma. I forgot to say it in last week's episode. So she might be listening if he doesn't have his headphones in. So happy birthday, Grandma. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the... Uh, um, the, 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 what are your guys' opinions on the on the um, the new platinum 140th anniversary edition with the tree ring? I I so want to see that in person. I don't think Richter's and Phillipson's getting one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I'll probably see one to be honest. It would be very yeah. very very lucky if you saw one in the flesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of those are like concept cars or turbines, just to to show that you can, or to have mm-hmm. a bit of a halo piece, or. Or to put it out there to, to change the the perception of the brand, but um, yeah, I, it would be nice if it was more accessible because I, I, I'm sure we'll see that dial come out mm-hmm. in different colors or renderings because it, it's a waste of a dial to just put it on 140. Yeah, so, I don't think they've ever misused a very good dial. I mean, if you look hard enough, you'll see that snowflake in various colors and. The um, even the lion's mane also serves as winter clouds in, in other mm-hmm. dials. But what what's strange is how the other brands seem very quiet right now. I mean, this should be Basel time. You'd think that everyone would try to release on their own time where there's not competition. Because the biggest thing with Basel, it's all exciting, but so many good models got lost in the shuffle, mm-hmm. and all anyone cared about was was whatever Rolex was doing. And then you'd get one or two stars of the show. So it's really strange that we haven't heard more from, from the other brands. I don't have a heck of a lot on my radar right now, but uh, always open to temptation. (laughs) It's a dangerous hobby. I saw saw RJ that you bought the the Seiko, the Manta Ray dial. Yeah. yeah. I I bought that too this week. And I've, I've heard you say this before that, you know, that's what I love about Seiko is that they, they, they can feed my habit perfectly because, you know, there are some really lovely, significant watches coming out, but there's some really tricky, affordable ones coming out all the time, mm-hmm. you know. So now you've got me hooked into changing the strap on mine and I've only owned it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was always against drilled lug holes before. Now I'm, I'm a huge advocate. Yeah, it, no, that's that's Buzzy's big thing. Yes. He, he says drill all the lugs. Just drill yeah. them all. <laughs> Just drill all of them. Just do it. Makes it so well, and, much easier. And that's the other thing too. Like we, you know, we we talked about the Grand Seikos that came out, but they, the one that I find odd is the new kind of the new Willard that came out in that mid kind of Marine Master pricing. But um, I think the one that is is actually absolutely fantastic is the one that's the uh, throwback to the original Seiko Alpinist. Like that's a watch that I kind of ha- that hadn't really been on my radar. I mean, when I think you know, I've, I'm fairly new to the hobby, having been in it for roughly four years. You know, when I when I hear Alpinist, I think of the one that I I picked up, 
you know, the, the European limited edition that has the, the dual crown with the compass bezel. That's what I think of when I think of Alpinus. And then I talked to our buddy, Mike Stockton, who worked, who writes for Fratello. And he's like, no, 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 no. You got to go all the way back. And, uh, that, that new dial, it's, it's, it's absolutely, I, I, I kind of agree with him. We've talked about this, uh, Mike and I have in, in a couple of chats, the date at three, you just kind of wish that Seiko had a no date movement because you're like, man, could you just do that as a no date? But like, I'm glad that watch exists and I'm glad they came out with all the different colorways at the lower price points. Um, but man, they, Seiko is a really good way of, of feeding the addiction that, that we all have because I mean, yeah, Sandy just picked up the manta ray. I, I mean, the, 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 the new Alpinist looks absolutely fantastic, but it came out with a new Seiko champion with the sector dial. I mean, I'm sure people would be all over that. It's just, they, they feed I, I think they're finally starting to get and understand, and I, I wish some other brands who had the, I mean, Seiko is, is that rare beast that has the stuff that's at the very, very high end at Grand Seiko and Crador, and then they have the stuff that's, that's very, very easy to get into, and, and you can buy a great watch at any price, and collectors, I think, largely love Seiko for that reason. I mean, you're right, the new Alpinist that came out, the Manta Ray, you can get a great Seiko for 500 and and feed that and get that dopamine hit that we've talked about and feed that need to keep acquiring. But at the same point, you can say, well, wait a minute, that new Seasons collection is out or wait a minute, there's that new GMT Chrono that they just came out with or wait a minute, let's, you know, let's, let's strive to achieve something else. And they're in every bucket. It's amazing. There aren't very many brands that are like that. Well, also, it's, a, it's that inclusivity too, though, that I love. Because mm-hmm. if you know, 500 is all you have to spend, you still get a seat at the table, you know, and you still have a watch that you're completely proud of. Mm -hmm. And, and when I put that, that one on, it thrills me as much as when I put on one that costs a hundred times more. It, um, it, and, and that's the thing is about the love of the watch. And so it, it's like, it's like the whiskey, you know, you don't have to spend a lot to get, really good quality or get something that um, you can really appreciate on a, on a lot of different levels. So the fact that they even make that watch for that person, you know, for us, it's the impulse aisle, like grabbing the Twix bar as you're checking out at the, uh, at the grocery store, but for others, it's something they aspire to. And it's, it's completely worthy of that aspiration and they put so much into it. I still can't believe that that manta ray is, is less than a thousand bucks, you know, Canadian. So it's like, <laughs> US, but it's, it's amazing <laughs> that they can offer that that watch at that price, and it's almost like they they want you to have it because they're proud of it, and and you can be proud to wear it, and and that's what I love about Seiko. the The interesting thing for me is that divide between Seiko and Grand Seiko because they they need that divide, but you can't you can't divide it too much because there's a <laughs> lot of history and goodwill and and benefits to being associated with Seiko. Even when you look at the, the history of accomplishment in the sports line, that's all Seiko. So if oh, yeah. Seiko ever hopes to expand their sport line, they're going to need to borrow from those those accomplishments of exploration and, and depth of diving. So you just wonder where they're going to find that reconciliation between the two. Mm-hmm. I really want them to marketeers. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really, I really want them to come out with, and you know, we just talked about Sandy mentioned, you know, the, the whole idea of being on a wait list. And although he, he does have something coming in, he was on that wait list. He, mm-hmm. he still was on it. <laughs> um, but, too long, though. Too long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. Yeah. It's, it's, 
that beard was black when he when he signed up. Probably right. I just I I so want and I I I like the Grand Seiko dive watches that they have out there, but man, if they could come out with a 41 millimeter, because I know at 41, a Grand Seiko would wear like 39 because they do magic with their lugs and their cases. If they could come out with a 41 millimeter dive watch with a spring drive movement that is 15 millimeters or less thick. Done. Yeah. Take my money. I would, you know, is like I, it would, they would sell so many of them. So many of them, because all those people waiting to get a sub, if, you, if, if you're able to go and see one of those in person, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, the finishing on a Grand Seiko, I, I absolutely, you, you, can't, you can't beat it for the price. Like, it, and again, it's, it's weird talking about what you spend on a Grand Seiko and it being a bargain, because they're not cheap. They're not, they're not an inexpensive watch. But the quality and the finishing and the technology and the movement you get for it, just they're, it's unbelievable. And if they could make a dive watch that wasn't 46 millimeters, like they would sell so many of them. <laughs> yeah. You I'm waiting to see it. You wonder if it's just not higher on their priority list right now. I think the more the U S market expands, it, it probably will be because it seems like such a no brainer mm-hmm. and oh, especially yeah. to put in a, a dial with a bit of water ripple texture. On oh, yeah. Cause even their, their spring drive divers, they're kind of like Submariner homage pieces. And, you know, it's, um, it's weird that they haven't made that a, a priority for them. And, you know, it, it's tough. Their, their production is, is so limited. I mean, with the new factory, maybe they'll come up over 50,000 pieces a year, but they're probably struggling just to keep up with the demand they have. I, I think a diver will, <laughs> would be more than what they're willing to absorb or capable of absorbing right now in demand. I mean, realistically, if they're at 50,000 pieces a year, they could make 50,000 divers and probably sell them if they had the right report. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's be honest, they could. They could. Yeah. Well, that's another interesting tie-in. I mean, with, with, with what Sandy's doing with the, you know, you, you, you set your stock out, like he said earlier, you set your stock out thinking, okay, what's demand going to be? What do I need to have into, you know, to blend? What am I going to need going forward? And we've definitely seen that here with certain Kentucky bourbons. And I'm sure it's the exact same in the scotch market, it's, you know, you don't, it's hard to tell when something is going to have a moment. It's really hard to tell when something is going to be popular. I mean, and I know you don't want to, everybody has their their goals and things you should hit to, but you don't want to overshoot and end up with something that you have a surplus of. And I I think that's probably something that Sandy has to balance on a, on a, on a daily basis. I would think every, every year, every year around September time, I get the forecast in from, all the marketing brand teams and all the brands that I'm responsible for, and they they work out how much they're going to sell for the life the life cycle of the brand. So we stick to stick to Glenlivet 12 here. You know, they'll give me a 12 year forecast for Glenlivet 12. They'll send it to me. I'll rip it up, put it in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> because they're always, they're always telling me they're going to sell an absolute shed load of Glenlivet. I'm like, oh, do this we're gonna to have to build about another 20 warehouses <laughs> I'm like, goodness me you know you guys are amazing you know so yeah you know it just i'm being i'm being flippant here i do have to listen to some of the things they say but <laughs> <laughs> you, your, your point spence is a really really good one it's about it's about getting that balance right and the great 
the great thing for us in the whisky industry is we've been doing it for so long. We've seen the peaks and troughs, and things things do come round, you know. And you need to you need to monitor your inventory really closely. You know, you need to make sure that you're not overfilling because if you are overfilling, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle in years to come. And you're, it, it's a huge. It's not just it's not just extra output. It's extra casks. It's extra warehouse. It becomes a complete drain on the business. So yeah, it's 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 a balancing act to make sure that you have the right amount of inventory. And the amount, right amount of inventory to innovate in the future as well. You know, I'm always winding up my team. That the, the place is never going to be in better order when I go to the old folks' home. You know, they're going to have, <laughs> going to have loads of lovely casks and fantastic inventory to make great new products. You know, I say, do we just honestly, you'd be working till lunchtime and then just sitting with your feet up in the afternoon. <laughs> the house is going to be in cracking order for you guys. But yeah, they always just shake their heads and walk off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything you're working on right now anything yeah what should we what should we be keeping our eye out for uh here in the near future sandy i've got 42 new product development projects on the go really? across Avalour, glenlivet chivas regal ballantines royal salute all these brands we've got all sorts of experiments and things coming out and we've just launched Avalour 14 year old which is um Looking, looking like it's going to be really good, um, and we we have our we, we the Royal Salute sponsors the major polo championships around the world, and we do a special limited edition every year, um, and we have um, we're just about to launch um, a special homage to Argentina where we filled we filled some of the casks and finished them in, in Argentinian Malbec casks, and it is just oh really phenomenal. It's um, it's going to be a limited edition that will run for the next sort of ten to twelve months. Um, it's 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 outstanding, Archie. We're so. <laughs> I love Melbourne. Yeah, so. Well, well, it's the one, it's the one for you, Tom. Oh yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the great thing. We're not just we're not just looking after the brands that have got hundreds of years of heritage. We're we're doing lots. Of, this is a golden period for Scotch whisky. You know, when I first started back in the nineteen eighties. We're lucky if we launched one new product a year. You know, there has to be a pipeline. You know, people want to know so much more about Scotch whisky now. They want to know how we made it, how we brought it together, what kind of casks was it matured in, how long was it matured in, what's the key key flavours, the key signature whiskies going into it. You know, and the, people want to try different expressions. The Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve, you know, people people are loving that. It's something really different for them to try, something, you know. But we're in, we're in a culture these days that people want to try different things. And circling right back to Seiko, I think Seiko have got that nailed. You know, they're able to... Been able to bring out all sorts of new expressions all the time, you know, that are really interesting at all price points. Yeah. No, that's that is that is fantastically well said. So I am I'm looking forward to I'm gonna try to find uh, some of that Caribbean reserve. That that seems yes. like a as we get into the warmer months, a little bit more of a maybe more of a summer, a summer scotch, if you will. Um, because when I think, you know, when I think of drinking whiskey neat or whiskey, you know, on the right, like I'm thinking. Usually, even with bourbon, that is a good fall, winter into early spring drink, colder weather by the fires, cigar, things like that. You know, the summer drinks a little bit lighter, you know, a little bit different. But maybe maybe that Caribbean Reserve is going to be my summer scotch. That could be. It makes the best ever highball. Okay. Okay. Glass, loads of ice, generous measure of Caribbean Reserve, (laughs) up with cold soda, absolutely superb. About the same strength as a as a good beer once you've got it in the glass, 
Lovely. That's all right. Cool. You know what, guys? That's your homework. Okay. I can. <laughs> Sounds- I can. You know something? I'm going to do that. And as soon as it cracks 70 degrees here, I'm I'm posting it. I'm tagging you, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, yeah. <laughs> eyeballs out. That's the name of the game. Yeah. And then, uh, so obviously everybody knows where to find RJ on Instagram at RJ comma. Where can we find you on Instagram, Sandy? If we want to, if we want to keep, tr- keep up with everything that you're doing at whiskey blender, dude, that's a, <laughs> a fantastic, fantastic uh, Instagram handle. And then what, um, scotch time, talk to us a little bit about where we can find the, 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 uh, the videos with you and whiskey Alexander. Do you know what Spence that just started as a bit of a lockdown hobby. <laughs> Alex, Alex is, Alex is a great guy. He's in charge of our, um, our heritage and education and the two of us are really good good pals we go to the the local auctions and antique fairs together he's and we say why don't why do we just do lockdown why don't we just start doing a thursday night just doing a little a little you know you know and it was, we started doing instagram live but we've done facebook live we've done some webinars and um, if you check out at whiskey alexander and, and mine at whiskey blender dude we don't do one every week. We do one maybe every two or three weeks and we pick a brand and we talk about it or we get a guest on from the company. We've had some of the distillery managers on. It's a really good opportunity to get behind the scenes in Scotch whiskey with the people that actually do it. You know, the people that are actually mm-hmm. at the coal face working on it. Some of some 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 of the people are are are, 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 are reluctant to do it in the <laughs> they're not they're not used to being in the limelight. But to your point, RJ, you said earlier on tonight that that Zoom's an amazing thing. You know, I'm getting people to come on with Alex and I and talk that would never stand up in front of 20, 30 people ever. They'd be terrified. Mm. We can get them on Zoom and it's almost like it's 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 not like there's 150 people listening to what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 having, we're having a lot of fun with it, Spence. Um, yeah, Scotch Watch has been, it's, it's gone way beyond what we thought, what we thought it would. Um, we'll keep doing it while we're enjoying it. And, uh, and just keep talking about, you know, Alex is into vinyl and into records and whatnot. So, you know, we do a bit of, we do a little bit on watches and a bit on music and mostly about scotch. It's, yeah, it's, it's the only way to spend your Thursday night. Oh, yeah. I can tell you, I, I've tuned into a couple of them or, or, you know, your Thursday night's my Thursday afternoon. So I haven't done it during working. I haven't done it during working hours in case anybody from my employers. <laughs> but I have caught them on Instagram that they're out there. You know, I found a couple on YouTube. So they've. They've been very interesting. You guys do have, like you said, you, you guys are at the forefront. You guys are doing it. So, of course, it's great to hear from the people who are doing it. Um, and, you know, kind of to your point, I don't think if you had told me a year ago, I'd be talking with the master blender from Shivas Regal and um, RJ on a on a on a essentially what is a glorified Zoom call that we're recording on a random Sunday in March. I just said you're 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 crazy, but you know that that is it, it's a weird takeaway from this whole you know, pandemic that we've all lived through. People are comfortable doing this stuff. People are, are, you know, focusing on their hobbies a little bit more, things that they're interested in and are are interested in hearing a conversation. So this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you guys both for coming, RJ, for coming back on, Sandy, for joining us. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion. This is, again, we we say this with all of our guests, but we do truly mean it. It's been such an enjoyable experience for us. You know, love to have you back, even dealing with the time change, um, you know, if, if you're willing to stay up a little bit late with us, Sandy, we are happy to have you on uh, again to I'm talk about man. new things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and you know, we'll both get our IT situation figured out before the next time. I'll send the link significantly earlier. You know, <laughs> hopefully my computer won't shut down again. Like we'll we'll get it all together. Um, you know, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, go follow Sandy. Go check out some Glenlivet 12 if you're so inclined uh, from a Scotch perspective, because it is fantastic. I've I've had now. I'm about halfway through my second glass, and I am. 
I am really enjoying it. So um, RJ's through half a bottle. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> and the big Costco size. Yeah, right. he's got the big one too. Like he is, yeah, we're, we're really having a good time here. Oh, Sandy, excellent work. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll take care everybody and, uh, and we'll check you next time. See ya. Sorry, goodbye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitswatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T-Z.